to go from being unknown to known, whether that's at our church or any other church. We just want you to go from being unknown to known. We want you to stop being fake. We're all fake to one degree or another. We want you to stop being fake. We want you to actually tell what's really going on with you. We want you to unpack the pain, unpack the struggle, unpack the stuff, go from being unknown to known. And the reason we want that in the context of a community, okay? Again, our church, any church, doesn't matter. The reason we want you to do that in the context of community is simply this. It'll be on the screen. I say it a million times a year. You'll hear me say it a million times a year. Your life never changes in rows. These are great. Like, this is fine, and we're glad you're here, and we're going to keep encouraging you to come. Tell people, bring them too. Like, this is all good. We want you to come on Sunday mornings, sit in pews over there. But here's the deal. Ultimately, your life never changes sitting in a row. You're just accumulating knowledge. That's all you're doing. And there's a place for that, and it's good, and we want you to do that. But where your life changes is in a circle. Never in a row, always in a circle. And literally, that is true in any way you can think of. If you want to get in really great shape, and you're looking at me like, well, I shouldn't listen to any advice you're about to give me, right? I get it. But if you want to get in really great shape, don't work out by yourself. Have a partner. Have somebody you're accountable to. Have a trainer. Have somebody pushing you. You will go further if you have somebody pushing you. Why? Because your life changes in a circle. Or if you want to get a better grade, quit studying by yourself. Study with somebody who actually knows how to study. That's the key right there. Like, don't study with a bozo. Study with somebody who has a good grade and is doing good. They're going to teach you just through osmosis, just you being near them, watching them how they do it. They're going to teach you how to study better. Why? Because your life always changes in a circle, right? This is what we know. This is what we want. We hope that you will go from unknown to known. Now, this is true literally everywhere in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Verses about it all over the place. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You need each other to grow. Romans 1, 11 through 12 says this. Paul says, man, I long to see you guys. I want to be there with you. Why? So that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Let me let you in on a secret if you haven't figured it out yet. Life stinks. It is hard. It is depressing. It is struggle. That is what life is. And when you hit a hard, depressing season... You need some encouragement. Your faith life can stink sometimes. You can start to despair and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. But if you're in a group and they can be strong while you're weak and say, come on, you can do this. Come on, let's keep going. And then eventually you'll be the strong one and they'll be the weak person. We get mutually encouraged. Finally, Galatians 6.2 tells us this, bear one another's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Here's the deal. You have a unique burden. I don't have that same burden that you have. You have a unique struggle. You got unique past. You got a unique pain. You got a unique everything. It's about you. I don't, I don't fully share that, but what the Bible tells me to do is help take that burden and lift it just a little bit, right? But I cannot carry a burden that I don't know about. I just can't do it, nor can anyone else. The deal is, I've said this a couple times this series, nobody can help the fake you. Because we don't know who you really are. We don't know how we can help you because we don't know the real you. We only know the fake you. Now, all that's fine. All that's good. That's just kind of recap of the whole thing. But let me end tonight by saying this. 
what keeps us, honestly, what keeps us from being real with one another? What keeps us from being real? What keeps us from honestly saying, this is what I'm struggling with? Hey, I know I look on the outside good, everything looks good, but I got to tell you, inside, man, my mind, my heart, all these different things, it's crazy, stuff going on at home, stuff going on over here, blah, 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 I'm just really struggling, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm this, I'm that. Like, what keeps us from honestly sharing who we really are? It's a really simple word, but it rules our lives. Ready? Fear. Fear. Fear keeps us hiding. Here's why. Because if I get honest and real with this group right here, the group of ladies right here, hey ladies, right? If I get real with y'all and go like, let me tell you what's really going on with me. Here's the, here's the fear in that moment is what if they don't understand what I just put out there? Or what if they judge me for what I just said? Or here's the worst one. What if they reject me? Because rejection sucks no matter when it happens. But I can almost stomach a little bit if you reject me, but you're rejecting the fake version of me. There's a little bit of saving grace there. I'm like, oh, you're just, you're just rejecting the guy I'm pretending to be. But when I get open and vulnerable with the group and I go, here's what's going on, and I feel like, oh, man, I just got kind of rejected. Man, that stings even worse because you didn't reject the fake version of me. You rejected the real version of me. And I've been terrified of that actually happening. And so fear keeps us locked away. And I totally get it. If you're in that boat going, I would never join a home group, never. Or if I'm in a home group, I'm never going to be honest about what's going on in my life. If you're in that boat, listen, I was in that boat for years. I hid for years, for years and years and years. I knew there was a pathway to freedom, but I wasn't brave enough to actually start walking it. But the longer you stay hidden, the longer you stay trapped. But here's the deal. We all get this, right? There are some conversations that are just scary. I got a couple conversation starters that I'm going to put on the screen, and just the words themselves might make some of you feel a little bit of anxiety. Here's the first one. Ready? Mom, Dad, I need to tell you something. Like some of you are like, nope, 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 right? Now here's the deal. Let me tell you this. Some of you, some of you, honestly, if you sat down and unpacked your family with me, you'd go, seriously, Tim, I can't talk to my parents about what's really going on. Like, let me tell you the history. And some of you, that's legitimately true, and, I, and my heart hurts for you, and I feel that. But let me be honest, that's a small percentage of this room. A huge percentage of this room has one or somebody who might play that role, that parent role. And it's time. You need to sit down and say, Mom, Dad, let me tell you something. Why? Because you're carrying a burden by yourself that you were not meant to carry by yourself. But that conversation is terrifying. Whether it's guilt, you made a mistake and you need to own up to it, or I'm really struggling, that conversation is ter terrifying. How about this one? Hey, I love you and I care about you, but I really need to say something to you. In other words, you have a friend, you have a brother, a sister, and you are literally watching them right now. You're watching them drive their life 100 miles an hour right towards a brick wall. They're going to wreck their life. And you're watching it from the sidelines going, I see what's in front of you, and you're about to destroy something. And you know, like, I, I should say something, but the idea of getting into their business is terrifying. Like, what if they get mad at me? What if they get defensive? What if they think that I'm judging them? I'm not judging them. I just feel like somebody ought to warn them. Like, what's going on? Like, 
what if all these bad, terrible things happen? And the fear keeps us going, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. Mm-mm. I'll just watch the accident happen. How careless is that, by the way? I'll just watch them drive their life off a cliff. Or this last one, how about this one? You join a home group? How can our group pray for you this week? Ooh, you start having that inner dialogue, the fear sets in. How can we pray for you? And you have this inner dialogue, and you, you're deciding. Like one side says, give the safe and easy answer. And one side says, give the real answer. What's the safe and easy? Oh, I, I have a Spanish test this week. Home group, or if you get into a home group this semester and you end up saying, pray for my test, there are some weeks that that's the right prayer request, right? There are some tests that really do dominate. So don't like throw stones at a person that says, I need prayer for a test, okay? But what I'm saying is that's safe. Why? We all got tests. We all got them. That's safe. That's easy. But you know what you really need prayer for, and it ain't the test. It's the fact that you're falling apart. It's the fact that you're really suffering. It's the fact that you're really struggling. It's the fact that you don't know what to do about this situation, and it's beyond you. And guys, I just need help. Could you pray for it? But fear keeps us going. I'll just do the safe and easy thing. Here's the deal. Ultimately, this, like in those moments, God is calling out to you, like have courage. Say the thing that you need to say. Come out of hiding. Do you know how liberating it is? when you don't have to hide anymore because you've already come out of, the hi- out of hiding in general? Like, there's nothing to hide from anymore because you've already stepped out in the light. How liberating it is to just be you and not worry. So liberating. God's calling you past your fear. So here's my question tonight. Ready? If fear is what keeps us hiding, and we know God is calling us to do what makes us afraid, then what do we do when God calls us to do something that makes us afraid? Because spoiler alert, the entire Bible is about God calling people to do stuff that made them terribly afraid. How do you navigate past fear into, okay, God, I'll obey you and do what you've asked me to do? How do you do that? I want to read you two stories tonight. We're going to fly through them. And at first, when we read these stories, you're going to go, I do not see the connection to these stories to that intro. And you're going to go, this doesn't make any sense. Just bear with me, because we're going to get to a point where you go, oh, Maybe not that, but you'll at least think he made sense. All right, Matthew 14. Ready? It'll be on the screen. Matthew 14, two stories of Jesus calling some people and particularly one person to do what made them afraid. 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. When a verse and a story starts off like that, it puts me in a tough position because do I explain what happened and take up time or do I just move forward? For this one, I'm going to explain what happened. When Jesus heard what had happened, what had happened? Here's what happened. His cousin, possibly his best friend, but for sure the person that understood him the best in the world. His cousin, possibly best friend, for sure the person that understood him better than anyone else. This guy by the name of John, you might have heard him, John the Baptist, that was his cousin, at this moment had been murdered, head chopped off. A little bit graphic, right? Head chopped off. Jesus hears what had happened, and he goes, I got to get away from people for a little while. And he goes to a private place. Why? Because Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And this is why I think it's important to start here and explain this, because it's not the point of the night, but it's important for you to hear this. That means that because Jesus was fully God and fully man, there is not an emotion, there is not an experience, there is not a suffering moment in your life that he can't understand. He's already experienced it himself. He felt grief, loneliness, alone, 
The one guy that understood what I was trying to do is gone. Why is that important? Here's why. We're totally unique in, the, in, the, in all of the religions of the world. All of the other religions of the world tell you this. God is over here. He's holy. You're here. You're broken, messed up. You better clean yourself up and get as acceptable as you possibly can. That's what every other religion will tell you. Our religion says this. No, yeah, you're right. God is over here and he's holy, except this. He sent his son to you, fully God, fully man, and he lived like one of you. And so there's nothing you're going through that God has to go, gee, I wonder what that's like. No, God's lived the same experience. He suffered, he bled, he died, he grieved, he was rejected, he was alone, he was lonely. Anything you feel, he has felt. Hebrews 4.15 says this, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he was without sin. He knows exactly what we're going through. I just think that's an important point to throw out there. But Jesus ultimately goes, all right, I got to get away from the crowds for a little bit. He takes his guys, disciples, let's get in the boat, let's go out to the wilderness. They go. Here's what happens. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. In other words, golly, I was looking for a break. No break tonight. All right. Verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Totally reasonable request. Honestly, what's probably happening here is the disciples are like, we're hungry. Like, could you send them away? Because we want to, like, close this day down and get something to eat. But they, you know, pose it as the more holy. Like, we're so concerned about the crowd. Like, come on, Peter, you're just hungry. All right, so here's the deal. They say you should send them away, right? Here's what Jesus says. This is the first moment of terror. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Go ahead. Give them something to eat. I think in that moment, the disciples had a, oh, shoot moment. Why do I think that? Why do I think they had terror? Because I think they were like, we're on the hook for this. And why do I think they had that moment? Because behind them, we find out later on in this passage, was 5,000 men plus women and children. Probably a crowd of about 10,000 people. They're like, you're putting us on the hook to feed 10,000 people. I have an intern. I have several but one intern in particular, she's going to hate this. Her name is Lexi. Some of y'all might have met Lexi. Let's say we just had a gathering of 100 people, just 100. And I said, hey, and, you know, Lexi comes up and she goes, hey, Tim, you know, it's kind of getting a lot of late. You know, they probably need to go home, get something to eat. And I go, no, Lexi, you feed them. I'll make an announcement right now. Hey, everybody, Lexi's going to feed. At that moment, Lexi is having a full-blown panic attack because Lexi likes to plan every moment of her life and is going, I have no plan and I'm on the hook. And so she's having a full-blown panic attack. Like Levi's in a closet finding ramen noodles to cook for y'all. But Lexi's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And they're going to they're gonna judge me and they're not going to like my food. And everyone's going to, and I'm going to be like, calm down. All right, so this is a moment of terror for the disciples. Total moment of terror. We're on the hook for this? It's a huge crowd. So Jesus goes on. And by the way, Jesus kind of knows all of this. So verse 17, here's what they say to him. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. You give them something to eat. Well, Jesus, problem with that. We have five loaves of bread, two fish. In other words, we don't even have enough for us. 
Uh, there's 12 of us, one of you, makes 13, math. Um, we don't have enough food for even us. So how are we going to do this? Here's what Jesus, like, let me like, give you the 30,000 foot experience of this story. Jesus already knows everything that's about to happen. He knows exactly what they have. And yet he calls them to feed the crowd. Listen to that. He knows how much food they have. And yet he still looks at them and says, no, give them something to eat. Why does he do this? It's the theme of the Bible on the screen. Ready? Here it is. God calls his people to seemingly impossible things. God calls his people over and over and over and over again in the Bible to do seemingly impossible things. Things. He doesn't want you sitting in your comfort zone. He doesn't want you comfortable. Listen, comfortable is like the opposite of where God wants you because you don't experience God in comfort. You experience God in discomfort and having to be totally and completely dependent on him or it doesn't work. That's where you get God, an experience with God. He calls you to impossible things. Let me give you some examples. If you're a believer in the room, God's called to you to share your faith with people who don't know Christ. And you go, no, 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 nope, 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 nope. You're terrified of it. Why are you terrified of it? Why were they terrified to do this? We can't do that. We don't have enough. That's always the answer. I call you to do something impossible, and you come back. I'm terrified because I don't have enough. So he calls you to share your faith. I can't do that. Why? I don't have enough knowledge. It's usually the one that pops out of our head. Our mouth? What if they ask a question that I don't know? I don't have enough. God's called all of us to join together and to reach to the ends of the earth. Like, just keep going. Spread this message everywhere. And so we throw out mission experiences, and we say, hey, you can go and go now this summer, and you can join with the BSM and go, and we're going to go on a mission trip this year, and you can do all this. And people go, I'm terrified of that. I don't know how to do that. And by the way, I don't have enough money, time, whatever it is. I just don't have enough. And yet, he still calls you to do it. Isn't that weird? He already knows your limitations, yet he still calls you to do it. Or God calls you to be honest and real about where you are in this life. He calls you to be a part of a community. He calls you to be a contributing member of that community, actually help people in your group, and actually share what's actually going on in your life. And you go, nope, not going to do it. I'm terrified. And when he looks back at you and says, why, you would say this, because I don't have enough courage. Because I think that I would be going out on a limb that no one else goes out on. And what if they judge? And what if they don't understand? And what if they reject? I don't have enough courage. I'll hang back and see if anyone else goes first. And then if they do, maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm not promising. But maybe I'll do it. I don't have enough. And yet he still calls you to do it. Isn't that interesting? So here's the story continuing. Verse 18 he said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. He says this, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke it into loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. I love that. I, I highlighted the whole sentence. You want to know why? Because what did, God, what did Jesus, meet, uh, sorry, I'm getting tongue tied here. Wow, I really am struggling. What did Jesus initially call them to do? Feed the people. So they're like, well, I can't. He's like, just bring me what you have. So they do. 
He starts multiplying it. What does he do? He gives it back to him. Why? I told you what I want you to do. Go feed the people. I'm not letting you off the hook just because I'm doing the miracle. You still go. Still do what I called you to do. Go feed the people. So they turn. They give it to the people. They all ate. They were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Okay, fine. Like, if you grew up in church, you heard that story in Sunday school, great, it's tidy, we see, awesome. Here's the deal, though. I want you to see the sequence. The sequence of what we just read, because the sequence is unbelievably important. Here's the sequence, ready? Jesus called them to do something that seemed impossible. Feed them. Can't do it. Why? Don't have enough. They told him they couldn't do it. Don't have enough. Three, he told them to bring the little they had. Just bring me what you have. Four, and the little they had in his hands becomes enough. That's the sequence of the story. That is the sequence of almost every time in the Bible God calls any person to do something. He calls them to do something that seems impossible. They say, I can't do it. I don't have enough. And he says, if you'll just trust me and take one step, just trust me and take one step, watch what happens. Watch how that little step was enough for you to see a miracle that most people don't get to see because most people don't trust me. That's always the sequence. So God calls us to do something seemingly impossible. Tell the truth, be transparent, be real. I can't do it. Why can't you do it? Don't have enough courage. He tells, just bring the little you have and just take a step. Just try. And then the little that we have, the little that we can muster in this awkward attempt where we finally go, okay, let me just tell a few people, one person, somebody. All of a sudden we go, oh my gosh. And we see them and we experience them in a brand new way. Why? Because we were able to go, I'm going to push past this and give him just this much trust to take my first awkward step. Now, that's all great. That's all good. Wrap it up right here. Say, go home. We're all fine and good. But here's the deal. The story gets better. And it gets deeper. Okay? Because Jesus kind of acts like your science professor here in this story. I don't know if you've taken science in college. Science professors have you for four hours a week, don't they? Like, don't get a C. That's what I learned in college. Don't get a C in a four-hour class. That's a GPA killer. I got a lot of them. Um, they have you four hours a week. Three hours of those are supposed to be lecture. Book work, you're in class, they're lecturing, quizzes, all that kind of stuff. But one hour a week, you are in what's called lab. Lab is the application of the information that you've gotten that week. That's, what this, that's how this works. So Jesus says, I've given you this story, disciples, but now I want to see if you caught it, so I'm going to send you into the lab. Let's see if you actually can apply what you just learned right here on the shore. So it goes on. Ready? Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus knew everything that was happening. He was totally in control and command. He sent his disciples into a storm. But here's the encouraging thing. His eyes never left his disciples. He was watching. He knew exactly where they were, exactly the struggle. And here's what happens next, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Fears all throughout this story. Human fears all throughout this story. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Another side note, not the point of tonight's lesson, but I just, I, I feel compelled every time I run across one of these examples to point it out. Some of you in this room might honestly be in a place where you go, I don't know if I believe the Bible to be true. It was written thousands of years ago. It's an ancient document. And even some of these stories, I mean, come on. He fed like 10,000 people. Like, how would that even work? How long does that take to serve that many people? Like, no, these things. And you, you begin to kind of go, I just don't know if it's true. You want to know one of the ways that I know it's true? Beyond the fact that I've applied it, lived it, and it's changed my life, and I hear God's voice in it. But beyond that, you want to know one of the ways I know it's true? Because the guys who wrote these pages never painted themselves as a hero. That's how I know it's true. You know this, right? The guys in the boat are the guys who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or close friends of those guys wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they never painted the disciples in a positive light. Let me give you an example. If I was going to create a new religion to try to fool all of you, I follow some guy, and I'm going to try to create a religion, and I write the story, and I, here's how I would always write about myself. And the apostle Timothy got into the boat, and in the middle of the lake, when the wind and the waves pick up, the apostle Timothy thought, we ought to have a prayer service about this because God has never left us. And I know even now Jesus watches over. And then I would write, and when Jesus approacheth, right, because you've got to throw that in there, approacheth on the lake, the other disciples freaked out like little children. But the apostle Timothy said, it is Jesus. Let us have a worship service, right? That's, I would paint me as a, a hero. I never had problems. I never doubted, never had fear. The guys who wrote this said we acted like kids. Like little boys. You're terrified. We saw a figure approaching from the shoreline where we left Jesus. We know Jesus can do anything he wants, and yet our first inclination is not to go, oh, it's Jesus, but it's a ghost. They freak out. But Jesus looks back at them and says, it's me. It's me. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. There's a lot of times in this life when God will call you to do something that's seemingly impossible, and in that moment, you go, I'm so fearful to do this. And here's what you ought to know. Jesus would look back at you and go, I'm with you. I haven't left you. Don't be afraid. Now, here's where the story gets really, really, really good. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Now, this is a weird request. Notice how weird this request is. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come to you. If it's really you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Tell me to walk out to you on the water. If it's really you, tell me to come. Why would Peter have this weird request? Why the request of tell me to do this before he does it? Why that request? Here's why. Peter's in the lab work right now. He just learned a lesson on the shoreline of feeding 5,000 people. He's in the lab now, and he's trying to apply what he learned on the shore. The rest of the disciples don't get this yet. Whoa, I almost fell. The rest of the disciples don't get this yet, but Peter put it together before any of them else did. Here's the sequence. A couple of hours ago, Peter's in the boat. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. In his mind, a couple of hours ago, Jesus told us to feed 5,000 people. That was impossible. We couldn't do that. We told him we couldn't do it. We told him why we couldn't do it. We don't have enough. 
And then he told us, just bring me what you have. And in his hands, it became enough. Now listen to this. Jesus told me to feed 5,000. Jesus told me to bring him what I had. And then Jesus told me to serve the people. And it worked. I was able to do it. Flash forward a few hours in the boat. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me like you told me to feed 5,000, because I was able to do that. Tell me to do this too, if it's you. See, this is what Peter put together in his head. It'll be on the screen if it's not making sense to you yet. If he calls me to do something, then he will enable me to do it if I trust him enough to take the first shaky step. If God calls you to do something, then he'll enable you to do it if you trust him enough to simply do this. Oh, gosh, I don't know how this is going to work. If you're willing to take the first shaky step, if he's told you to do it, he'll enable you to do it. Over and over and over again, I could count endless examples from the Bible and make this message go on for hours of people that this was true for. If he calls me to do it, he'll enable me to do it if I take the first step. So Peter puts this all together. Lord, here's the verse again. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, let, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, verse 29. Here's what Jesus said. Come. Come on. Let's go. Come. He said. Then Peter, ready? Got down out of the boat. And I think it probably went something like this. I'm a bad actor, but just bear with me. I think he lifted his leg and put it outside, but he still had all of his weight on the back leg. Because he's a fisherman and he knows if I step on the water, I go down. I'm a fisherman. Plus, this is a stormy sea. Going down in this water is not safe. So I think for a second he might have, okay, my, all right, but now, now's the time to really see. Oh, gosh, shifts weight. Oh, gosh. It's holding. I'm not sinking. And then, oh, gosh, oh, my gosh. And then it's like rocking on the water, like, uh, I'm standing on water. I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm standing on water, right? He's going, I, this is so bizarre, so bizarre. But Peter put it all together. If you tell me to do something that seems impossible, you'll enable me to do it if I trust you enough to take the first shaky step. And Peter gets to do something that no other human in human history has ever got to do. Walk on water. And, G and Peter got to meet Jesus in the most unique place that anyone could ever meet Jesus. The disciples are sitting back in the boat. But Peter gets to meet him out on top of the water. Why? If he calls me to do something, it's terrifying. But if he calls me to do it, he'll enable me to do it if I trust him enough to take the first shaky step. We call these moments leaps of faith. That's what we call them. But this was no leap. This wasn't a leap. This was as simple as, oh gosh, oh gosh, okay, okay, uh, I got to get my bearings, I'm going to try. That's all it was, was a shaky first step. Here's the deal. God's called you to lots of things in this life. 
He's called you to be honest about yourself. That's the point of tonight, but he's called you to lots of things in your life. Share your faith. Can't do it. I promise it'll be enough if you take the first shaky step. You'll see a miracle happen. He's called you to stop doing some things in your life. And you're like, I don't know how to quit these things. Like, these things are important to me. I don't know what that would look like to end this relationship or do this or do that. I promise you, you're going to see me in a unique way. If you take the first shaky step, try. Just try. Or he's called you to start doing some things. I want you to start doing these things. These things are going to be good for you. You need to do them. Like, do them. This is how you're supposed to live. Do it. It's not, it's not rules to make you feel bad about yourself. It's rules to set you free. You need rules to actually have freedom. That's what the definition is. You've got to have these things. So just do these things. And you're like, okay, but I don't know how to start this or do this. And I'm kind of weirded out. And I don't even know what's going on. But I'll take the first shaky step. Last week, I witnessed with my own eyes two students accepting Christ. I could watch them pray the prayer. And then I encouraged them, like, afterwards, like, come find one of us. No one found us. Now I'm not judging or condemning them. Listen, that is a moment where you go, no one's moving in this room, and I'm terrified to do it. But I'm going to take the first shaky step here and just, like, if I need to duck my head and duck my head, I'm, I'm going to the person I need to talk to right now. You push past that moment of fear, like, I can't do this, and you end up taking a leap of faith, and you meet Jesus in a way that most people don't meet Jesus. Here's the deal. I mean, honestly, let me just tell you the truth. I really believe, and this is not a badge of honor. It's, it's my way of life. I believe that in most rooms that I find myself in, whether it be at church and when I work in the office that I work in, or whether it be here at you know, Tuesday nights, or whether it be in an AA meeting, or whether it be in any other number of environments that I find myself, I'm pretty much... I'm sure of myself at this point that I'm probably the most honest person in this room. And the only reason that's true for me is because it's become a way of life for me. And I know that the moment I start faking it is the moment that I go back to the life I used to have. I don't want that life anymore. So when I walk past the person at First Baptist Church and they go, how are you doing? You know, and at church, you're supposed to be like, oh, I'm doing great, man. Jesus is good. I go, I feel like crap. You know, I'm having a terrible day and it weirds people out. But that's the honest answer. How do I know God's word is true? Here's how I know. Because Peter and me and other, lots of other people are out here tap dancing on the waves while the rest of y'all are sitting in a boat scared to death to open your mouth. That's how I know God's true. That when I started speaking the truth about what's going on, I found freedom. And a lot of other people are hiding. But I encountered Christ on top of the waves and I didn't sink. That's how I know Christ is true. That's how I know his word is true. Because I got out of the boat. And again, that's not a badge of honor. I was going to die if I stayed in the boat. If I stay hidden, I would have died. Just made common sense to get out of the boat. Listen, God calls you to seemingly impossible things, but I promise you he'll enable you to do it. If, if you trust him enough. One shaky step. If you know how this story ends, then you know that's not the end of the story. So let me finish it real quick. Ready? So Jesus says, come on. He comes out, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And I love the next word, immediately. I think Peter made it a little bit of a distance. He got close to Jesus. But then he got freaked out. I shouldn't be doing this. How am I able to do this? This is crazy. What's going on? The wind, the waves, oh my gosh. And he begins to sink. But immediately... Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't think, don't read this wrong. I think we've taught this wrong for a really long time. I don't think this was a rebuke. 
If you hear a preacher preach this passage and they talk about Peter's failure and Peter's doubt, just remind that pastor that 11 guys are still sitting in the boat. He tried. He came up short. He was doing something that no one's ever done. Let's give him a little bit of credit. I think Jesus didn't say, you have little faith, you terrible sinner. I think he said, oh man, you were doing so good. It's all right, come on, let's walk back. I think it was an encouragement. When I had, you know, I got two kids, a daughter named Emma, a daughter named Olivia. I can remember their first step, both of them. And the first step for a kid is a crazy experience because for one year, you can pretty much contain them. But at the one-year mark, they can start killing themselves by wandering into places they're not supposed to go. It's a lot of fun. So they'll pull up on a coffee table or something, and then all of a sudden you can start to see it in their eyes. Like, they, they feel like, I can do this. And so they let go of the coffee table and they turn to you. But you know, when you're a baby, you're like a bobblehead, like your head's fat and your legs are weak, you know? And so they kind of, they let go of the table and they look at you and they got this excited face like, you see what I'm doing, sucker? Like, you've been doing this, but look who's doing it now, right? And they take the first step and they kind of and then the head just, you know, boom, they're just over, and they just fall. One step's all you get. One step, and the first step's all you get, you know. Here's the deal. When that happens, when that happened, I know for a fact, I did not run up to my kid, pick them up, and go, you suck at walking. You're never going to walk, you pathetic loser. I did not do that to my children. One step, and they fell. One. You know what we did? We pick them up. Oh my gosh, Emma, Olivia, this was so great. Let's try it again. And we put them down and let them try again. Why? Because it's called learning to walk. And they now walk and run and do all types of stuff. It's great. Listen, when you take those first shaky steps, God calls you into something. You take those first shaky steps. It is possible that you will fall. It is possible that you might have some type of experience that you go, I feel really weird about what just happened. And you might be tempted to run back, get back in the boat, and go never doing it again. Here's what I would tell you. Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs you, pulls you up. You did so good. Because most people don't even get out of that boat. And you got out. Let's keep walking. There has to come a point. The last thing I'm going to say will be on the screen. Ready? There has to come a point in your life and in your relationship with God that it stops being about head knowledge and it starts being about getting out of the boat. Quit accumulating knowledge. Actually start doing it. Get out of the boat. Take the shaky step. If he called you to do it, he'll enable you to do it as long as you trust him enough to take the first shaky step. Let me pray for us. Father, if you tell us to come, we know we can. Some of us in this room have been battling a spiritual decision for a while, running from it, trying to ignore it. But God, you consistently call out. You consistently tell us, come on. Say that thing you need to say. Make that decision you need to make. Reach out to those people you need to reach out to. Talk to that friend who's about to drive their life off the cliff. Do these things. I know they're hard. I know they're scary, but you can do them. Help us to trust you enough. Help us to trust you enough to where everyone else falls back and goes, I'm going to hide and wait for somebody else to do it. I pray just even a few in here would go, oh, I'll take it up. And they would step out. 
that first shaky step. And I pray they would find really sure footing. And they would encounter you in a way that most people never get to encounter you. It's absolutely life-changing. I am so thankful, God, that in my life, because of your goodness and because of your grace, I ran and tried to hide for a long time. And you wouldn't allow it to happen any longer. And you confronted me with a series of circumstances that finally I said enough's enough and I got honest. I pray that students don't have to go through the pain that I went through. I pray they'll start doing that before they get into a crisis. I pray that students that have been running from you would return back to you. I pray you would help change our hearts, change our lives. Help us to encounter you on top of the waves when everyone else is in the boat. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.